Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for the great news we have this morning. We pray that you would help us to understand and make your resurrection real in our lives through what you say to us in Scripture. We pray this in your name. Amen. This week, in one of our preschool classes, the teacher was telling the children the Easter story. And she went through the whole story, you know, said Jesus was crucified on a cross for our sins, and then he was buried in a tomb. But, but then on Easter Sunday, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus rose from the dead. And she said, wow, what a day. The little boy in the front row looked at his teacher, and she, he said, yeah, you must have been exhausted after that day. <laughs> Gives a whole new meaning to the hymn, Were You There? Right? He thought she was. And I think that that little boy captures something that's true about Easter. There is something that is difficult and exhausting about Easter. It's a story of hope, to be sure, but it is first a hard story about brokenness, sin, death, failure, suffering, and shame. All of those things were there at that tomb that first Easter morning. Christ's broken body, the sin of creatures who would crucify their own Creator, the suffering and of death on a cross and the failure and shame that came along with the seeming end of Jesus' movement. Unlike other religions where brokenness and pain are considered either illusions or punishment for something you've done, the Easter story says no, brokenness and pain, they're, they're not what God wants, the result of a fallen world, but they are real. But also, like other, unlike other religions, Easter offers some hope. And the hope is that Jesus can transform brokenness and pain into hope and into joy. Because 2,000 years ago, something unique happened. A rabbi who went around caring for the sick and healing the sick and healing the poor and caring for them. That rabbi was put to death by the Roman authorities, but then he conquered death and rose up from the grave. And the promise of Easter is that he can do that. If he can transform death into life, well, then he can transform anything in our lives, including that problem you may have brought in here this morning. That marriage that's dead can live again. The body that's racked with cancer can come back to life after death to be sure, but even in this world, either through being healed or through God bringing good things out of the pain. People who feel empty, wondering if life holds more than just the next big deal or the next toy to buy, they can find joy and excitement and adventure again. Easter shows that God is at his best in a graveyard and that his specialty is bringing life out of death, good out of evil, joy out of pain. You see, with God, when we suffer, and we do suffer, but when we suffer with God, it's never hamster wheel suffering. It's always pottery wheel suffering. And there's a difference. Hamster wheel suffering is just round and round she goes and where she stops nobody knows. But in pottery wheel suffering, we can invite God's hand into our lives and He'll use even pain and brokenness to mold us and shape us and produce something good, turn us into a work of art. But it's not just pain and brokenness that Jesus can transform, other things too. You know, sometimes I think we believe that the only reason anyone would ever want to follow Jesus is because their life must be a disaster, right? A real mess. Those are the only people that would follow Jesus. But sometimes we need Jesus most when things are going great, or so we think. A man I know is one of the top venture capitalists in our country. He's made a ton of money 
well-respected, had a great family, but he was also a little bit bored. He'd made all the money he could ever want, and the thrill of doing the Knicks big deal was gone. He'd done it a thousand times before, you know, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. And the older he got, the more he realized that scientists are right and that the human mortality rate is approaching right around 100% these days. And then Jesus got a hold of him. One day he was at a Christmas party and as he listened to the people around him talking about their financial success or the next big deal that they were going to do, he wasn't a Christian, but even still he turned to a friend and he said, I, I don't know, on Christmas this just doesn't seem like we should be talking about this kind of stuff. Well, then that friend started to talk to him about Jesus and who he was and over time this man accepted Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. Well, at first, nothing much changed other than that he went to church on Sunday morning, so, you know, had something to do before brunch. But then through his church, he began meeting some underprivileged kids, and his heart began to break for the things that break God's heart. He began to pray about it, and the first thing that happened was he felt God nudging him to get on the board of some Christian organizations that care for needy children, so he could use his leadership skills to help them do that in a better way and care for more kids. Then he felt God nudge him to get involved a little bit more personally. And so he started to support some of these families financially that that need some help with some money. And the more he did this, he got less and less focused on himself and more and more focused on the kids. And every once in a while he gets a letter from one of these kids that he's anonymously supporting. And they don't know his name, so they always title the the, the letters Dear Angel. And one day he got a letter that simply said, Dear Angel... Thank you for knowing that I exist. And he framed that letter because he says it means more to him than any big deal that he's ever done. The way he puts it, he says, Jesus took me off autopilot and now life is exciting again because I'm making a difference in people's lives and I'm part of something much bigger than me. He says, I'm still a work in progress, but I'm moving from being just a believer to being a disciple. And just as the Bible promises, that's given me hope and joy. Now, this man's life was not a train wreck, right? Far from it. I mean, according to our culture, he had everything he could ever want. But inside, he was still a little bored, still a little lonely. But Jesus transformed all of that into adventure and joy. As Linus might say, that's what Easter's all about, Charlie Brown. This dead marriage, this dead career, this seemingly empty life, this dead whatever can live again. Now, some of you right now might be saying, fine, okay, but I'm not buying it. Uh Uh-uh. No way Jesus was raised from the dead. No way. I don't believe it. Didn't happen. James Cameron told me it didn't. (laughs) Just a made-up story. Just a metaphor for hope. Besides, I doubt there's anything God can do with my broken marriage or my stalled career or my weird family. I mean, just look at them. God can't do anything with them, right? Well, no, he did, and he can. Let me just take a minute to address some of those who may be just a little bit skeptical about Easter. Let me just take a minute and talk to you. One of the reasons I went from being an atheist to a Christian is because Christianity is the only religion that has the guts to anchor all of its claims in verifiable history. The events of Jesus' life took place on dates that we can verify with references to kings and governors who really existed. And there is credible evidence to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And I'm not going to go through all of it, don't have time, let me just touch on a little bit. The disciples who spread the story 
you know, they didn't get lucrative TV ministries for doing it. You know, they got beaten and mocked and eventually killed. Folks will die for a lot of things, but not something they know that they made up. In Jesus' day, if you were to kill someone and a hundred women saw you do it, but there was no man there, you'd go scot-free. No one would even press charges. Reason being because women were thought to be completely incapable of being reliable witnesses. In that culture, if the disciples were making this story up, no way would women have been the first witnesses of the resurrection. And over the years, there have been a lot of attempts to disprove Easter, but none convincing. Not even the Da Vinci Code, which is a wonderful fiction. (laughs) Based on documents written hundreds of years after Jesus, too long after the events to count as any kind of real history, whereas the whole New Testament was written within the lifetime of eyewitnesses, nor has James Cameron found Jesus' tomb, like he claims he has, even Jewish archaeologists. Even atheist archaeologists are saying the only thing James Cameron has found is a publicity stunt. And if today you don't know Jesus, but maybe you're just a little bit interested, before you leave, stop off at the information booth in the lobby. And I'd like you to pick up a a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist journalist who had a really irritating thing happen to him. His wife became a Christian bugged him so much that he set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, ended up convincing himself that it really happened. Now, if you already know Jesus, I invite you just not to go get one of those books. We're trying to save as many as possible for folks who are exploring. If, we run, if we've run out by now, they're going to take your names and we'll get that copy to you free. If you want to know more about Jesus, would you please go get that book? Ken Davis tells what is supposedly a true story about a woman who one day was looking out her window of her home and And she was horrified to see her German shepherd with the neighbor's rabbit in its mouth. So she went outside and the dog dropped this dead rabbit in front of her. You know, as dogs do, as though it were some kind of Christmas present, right? Pet me, pet me, right? Well, she didn't want her neighbors to be mad, so she took this dead rabbit inside. It had dirt all over it and she washed it off, right? Even took out a blow dryer and an old comb and fluffed it up a little bit. Because no way was she going to get blamed for this dead rabbit. Then she snuck into her neighbor's backyard and propped the rabbit up in the cage and went home. About an hour later, she heard her neighbor scream, so she went outside and pretended not to know what was going on. She said, what's wrong? The neighbor said, our rabbit. It died a week ago when we buried it, but now it's back. I laugh every time I tell that story. I just think it's so funny. (laughs) Here's the deal. Jesus wasn't just fluffed up on Easter. He was raised from the dead, and that is a very different thing, which means that he can do more than just fluff us up when we face hard times. Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. We're talking transformation here, not just fluffing. We're talking death into life, pain into hope, sorrow into joy. That's what we're talking when we're talking about Jesus. And that's what he can do, make all things new. I got an email from a woman in our congregation a while back telling me her life story, and I just want to read parts of it to you. This is what she wrote. 
She said, I was born into turmoil to an alcoholic father who beat my brothers, had affairs, and molested his daughters. When I was five, he stole the family car and left for good. Around this time, my sister and I started going to church, and I accepted Jesus into my heart. Jesus became my hope and salvation, and I did not question it or waver in faith. Church was also a blessing for my mother, because my sister and I introduced her to our Sunday school teacher, Jim. And they ended up getting married when I was 19, and are happily married still. And then as the email goes on, she describes how she grew up, and then she talks about how in high school, uh, there were several boys who sexually pressured her, and that sort of released a lot of anger that she had in, at, at men. And she walked away from Jesus at that point and engaged in a lot of sexual promiscuity and used her sexuality to attract men, but then she would treat them cruelly. The way she put it, she said, I had a great body but kept using it in all the wrong ways. Well, she eventually got married and had a son, but then her husband had an affair and left her. Around this same time, a friend of hers had reintroduced her to Jesus, but when her husband left, again, she walked away from Jesus. From there, she went on to have a series of boyfriends. And eventually, she moved in with one of the boyfriends and had another child. But then that boyfriend ended up physically abusing her. Same time, she also started to use drugs and started to drink heavily. Now, the whole time this was going on, on the outside, she looked like she had it all together. No one knew what was going on. She just looked perfect from the outside. But inside, she was dying. Well, eventually, she left the abusive boyfriend, and yet again, she turned to Jesus and started to pray for forgiveness and protection and for strength. She said she would alternate between praying to Jesus and slipping back into her addictions. Until finally, finally, one night, she said, Okay, Lord, I cannot do this myself. I'm just making a mess of things. It's yours. Take this whole sloppy, messy life of mine and do whatever is the right thing to do. And she said it was hard at first to let go of control, but as she did, she began to realize that God had been in control all along and he was in charge. Well, about this time, she started coming to this church. She also got some counseling and she joined our choir. And she didn't have a lot of money and couldn't afford an affordable apartment, couldn't find an affordable apartment. But the whole choir prayed for her. And then we as a church gave her $400 to help her with the down payment. Started going to our inner inner healing prayer ministry to get some healing that way. And she volunteered to help our home-to-home ministry that provides furniture for needy families. And then our church youth group helped her move her stuff from storage to a new apartment. Let me read you how she ends the email. These are her closing words. She says, Now I find great healing in my soul, singing for God like I did when I was a child. I feel God's forgiveness and love so strongly, and I know that I'll never stray from Him again like I did before. I don't drink or do drugs, and I try to listen for God's voice. Sometimes He seems silent, but sometimes He speaks to me so clearly and helps me through everything. His voice comes in the form of my own thoughts, telling me what to do. And I know it's him because it's so strong and clear and often surprising because it's usually not something I've ever thought of before. When he seems silent, I just put my faith in him and wait. Now I look back on all of those years of hell and they seem just like a bad dream. Now I have a much better relationship with my kids and I'm currently enrolled in a nursing program to better the quality of life for me and for my children. I also know with certainty that God will use my experiences to his greater good. I hope to be a child that God can be proud of. I'm sure that he is. 
There's a lot in her life that threatened to break her at various points. Some of it her own doing, but most of it was just stuff that happened to her. But Jesus never let go of her, even when she kept letting go of him over and over again. And when she finally said, all right, Jesus, it's yours. Take this life of mine. It's all yours. Jesus did that Easter miracle and transformed her brokenness into pain and joy and hope. And if he did that for her, well, then what can he do for you and for me? So if you know Jesus today, I'd invite you to get to know him a little bit more. And if you know him, give him your pain and your brokenness, but also give him your successes and your ambitions. Let him take all of that stuff and transform them into hope and joy and adventure and excitement. And if you don't know Jesus, I'd invite you to get to know him. Read the case for Christ or email me or someone on the staff of this church. We'd love to talk. Come back next week. Or better yet, just try Jesus for a year. Pray to him, read the Bible, do what he says to do, put him to the test. You'll see. He's real. A while back, our Sunday school kids did an art project where they layered various kinds of colored sand into a jar to make a design that symbolized something spiritual, I'm sure. (laughs) Afterwards, there was a little four-year-old girl named Chloe, and on her way to the parking lot with her parents, she dropped her jar and it shattered and spilled sand all over the place. She was just devastated. Well, one of our custodians happened to be there, and his hobby is photography. So he went and got his camera, and he pulled out the pieces of broken glass, and he took a picture of the sand on the parking lot. And the picture turned out just great. It looked like a giant colored comet. So the custodian matted and framed the picture, and he titled it Chloe's Comet. And then he gave it to her the next week, and she was just thrilled. Just got a huge old smile on her face. She didn't have her art project anymore, like all the other kids, but she had something better, something unique, something that was really authentic to her. And her little mini-tragedy had been transformed into art. That's Easter. Jesus takes our tragedies, our brokenness, our pain, the emptiness we sometimes feel. He takes all of that, and if we'll let him in, he turns evil into good, death into joy, sadness into dancing, emptiness into fullness of life and hope. One of the guys in our modern worship band wrote a song I like a lot, and the chorus says, I will sing to God most holy, King of glory, King of grace, for he has taken all that breaks me and has made it to be praised. Made it to be praised. That's Easter. God takes all of our junk, he takes everything that threatens to break us, and he commands it to be praised. A man named Moses and a group of Israelites are up against the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army charging hard behind them. But God parts the Red Sea. They walk through to the other side. What's the first thing they do when they get there? They sing their praises to God. Pharaoh meant to destroy them. God made it to be praised. A man named Daniel is thrown into a lion's den for praying to God. Next day they open the den expecting to see Daniel dead but discover instead that God put the lions on a low-protein diet and Daniel's still alive. The king meant to kill Daniel, but God made it to be praised. A man named Zacchaeus is a cheat and a swindler, but Jesus calls him by name and loves him, and he changes his ways and says, I'm selling some of my stuff to help the poor. Zacchaeus was a financial success with a very empty life, but Jesus made it to be praised. The marriage that is breaking down, the health crisis, the family problems, the stalled career, the fear of death, the emptiness that comes from having everything you want but not really enjoying what you have, 
The good news of Easter is that Jesus is King of kings, He is Lord of lords, and He can, will, and still does tell it, compel it, command it to be praised. Because He is risen, not just as a metaphor, not just as a story, He is risen in history, He is risen indeed, and He wants to be risen in your life and in mine. So let's let Him in. Lord Jesus, thank You that You can take all that breaks us, whether it's our pain and sorrow or our own success, And you can tell it, make it, command it to be praised. Lord, do that with all of the stuff in our lives and we'll give you the glory. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.